Hello, and welcome to Introducing Me. I'm your host, Sarah. I started this podcast to get to know other people and lifestyles while discovering more about myself. Each episode, I will give a new guest a chance to discuss their background, culture, interests, or whatever they want to talk about to help increase all of our own worldviews. Today, I would like to introduce you to Shane Halls. He has 15 years of experience and is an expert in human resources and diversity, equity, inclusion with a focus on artificial intelligence. Of course, all of those words have fancy acronyms, HR, DEI, AI. Um, So I'm excited to have Shane here today, have him talk more about himself and the things that he's passionate about in his work. So thank you so much, Shane. Why don't you go ahead and tell the audience more about yourself? Man, who am I? Well, thanks so much for the great introduction. Thanks so much for having me on here. I love an opportunity to speak more about these things that I'm very passionate about, all the acronyms, the DEI, the HRs, the AIs, right? Um, So I am Shane Halls. I am a West Indian-born, you know, American male. Uh, I was born in the U.S. Virgin Islands, Um, have Trini, have Crucian, which means uh, my father's from Trinidad, my mom is from St. Croix, where I was born. Um, I went to college in North Carolina at HBCU at St. Augustine's University, um, and that was one of the best experiences ever. I tell anyone uh, being uh, in corporate America now in a environment where I'm traditionally a, uh, a minority um, in many aspects, right? The career choice of being in HR and uh, DEI has made it so that I'm very rarely the only male around, you know, usually it's a very female-laden career path. And so uh, being at St. Aug for four years, being able to be uh, among just a majority of just Black uh, persons was just a great experience for me. Um, So I love that very much. And that really helped kind of get my view on world and life really sharpened as I came into my corporate life and got into HR um, and recruiting I was recruiting into recruiting. I didn't have any clue what recruiting was until I got a phone call. I was like, hey, do you want to be a recruiter? I'm like, what is that? And, you know, 15 years later, here I am, right? Um, so came into HR and recruiting, and my main focus has been IT and pharma, biotech. And being in these fields, it became painfully obvious uh, that there are disparities in numbers and equity across the board. Uh, women in sales lack tremendously. There is a tremendous lack of uh, persons in leadership roles that are of minority backgrounds. There's a tremendous lack of representation for persons on uh, the LGBTQ community, right? There's just uh, just lack. And so it became my focus very early on to help bring some equity the best way I can um, into any areas that I'm able to touch in business units that I'm able to support. And then as my journey continued, man, I started noticing how AI was becoming more and more prevalent. And if you understand what AI is, AI is machine learning. AI is the ability for uh, machines to be able to do a repetitive tasks. And so that would mean like a lot of administrative jobs are gonna get replaced eventually by AI. And when we talk about administrative jobs, you're talking about women, and you're talking about administrative jobs are usually done and 80% of those jobs are women. So not only are just women, we're talking about minority women. And then we're talking about manufacturing jobs are going to get replaced with AI as well. So we're talking about a big conglomerate of the uh, diversity field are going to get impacted by uh, AI. And so I really have made it my focus to make sure organizations understand 
uh, how to counteract that and not have their numbers drop. And then also I want to make sure persons understand how to master AI so that when companies start to implement AI, they also are looked at as an asset as far as, oh, okay, well, you can help us implement this as opposed to folks just getting replaced by it, you know? Right. Well, it's good to hear, you know, kind of your background and kind of what got you into what you're so interested in. Would you be willing to start kind of with first getting to North Carolina, being at an HBCU and what that was like in comparison with growing up in the U.S. Virgin Islands? Right. So my journey is very interesting. Right. So growing up in the Virgin Islands, the island is 80, 90 percent persons of African descent. And so growing up in that environment, it was always I never knew anything about, you know, racism, bias or anything like that, because everyone looked like me. Police officers, judges, firemen, local persons who own grocery stores, everyone, right? Business owners to even the you know, homeless on the street, right? It was just everyone looked like me. But then uh, due to some family changes, we ended up moving to Charleston, South Carolina, where I finished high school. And I can tell you the shock from going from St. Croix, U.S. Virgin Islands, to Charleston, South Carolina, um, was very interesting, right? And at this time, this was when South Carolina still flew the Confederate flag above the American flag at state capitol, right? This is when they were like staunch, like Confederate flag lovers in South Carolina. And so, of course, there was a thick air of bias and racism that exists in Charleston. And that was a culture shock for me. And that was very much a eye-opening to what the rest of the world is like and that island life is really island life and that there's a whole nother life outside of uh, growing up on an island. Um, everything from just the way the culture was to the beaches as well. I'm trying to tell you, the beaches were a shock. When you grew up your whole life seeing white sand and clear blue waters and then you go to the beach and it's not clear, it was very dramatic. That might have been the most dramatic part for me because I was like, wait, I can't see in the water. Like, uh, how can I get in the water if I can't actually see? in the water. And um, so going then from Charleston to an HBC was almost like a relief. It was like going back to what I was comfortable with, what I knew um, as far as seeing just persons that look like me um, being in positions of power and not having that immediate sense of uh, being a minority and not having that immediate sense of uh, bigotry or racism hanging about you. you know, I didn't know what it's like to be followed in a store until I was like, 14 in uh, Charleston and being followed around the store because I happened to be a young black kid walking through a music store, you know? And so it was experiences like that, that helped me understand that um, everything's not right. You know, everything's not fixed. Everything's not equal. And uh, going to HBCU really helped uh, me be comfortable in a learning environment. And then also being able to hone the skills necessary through leadership training and talking to uh, the professors. Many professors at HBCUs are retired professionals who have come back to try to, you know, pass along the knowledge that they learned. And so learning from these retired professionals and how to conduct yourself in a corporate environment, how to be successful in a corporate environment um, was uh, essential um, to, the su- to the success I've had as a professional. And so then you had those four years at the HBCU surrounded by, you know, your peers, people like you, kind of more of that experience like you had originally had in your younger years. 
But when you went into the professional world, you were entering kind of what you had first moving to the continental States. So what was that preparation like for you? Like you were in those four years knowing like the future is ahead of me. Exactly. So like those four years were great. Went to a lot of, like I said, leadership training. They were put in a lot of positions to learn a lot of skills on just how to be a professional, how to uh, to be an adult, you know, when we go to college, we're, we're learning how to be an adult, how to conduct ourselves without supervision. But then once you get into the workspace, you learn that those lessons were merely just foundational and that you actually still have to put them to use. And I think one of the biggest uh, lessons I learned is probably two or three years into my recruiting career, I was working for a recruiting uh, staffing company that was majority Caucasian and majority Caucasian males. And I was the only black recruiter in North Carolina. And one of my district managers uh, came in the office and was talking about a basketball game that happened the night before. It was a Duke UNC basketball game. And he walked in just casually, loudly, and was like, ah, man, there's no wonder Duke lost. Look at all those thugs that's over there on UNC's team. And if you didn't think about college basketball, especially in the early 2000s, the UNC team was just basically an all-black team, while Duke was traditionally a, very much a Caucasian team. And my white counterpart, who sat right across from me in, in, uh, in, at our desk, he looked right at me, and his face turned red because he heard what I heard, and he knew what he meant. And he looked at me like, okay, like, what are you going to do? Like, you know, and... I'm, I'm still new, right? I'm a couple years out of college and I hear it. I know what he meant. I know how this feels. And I said nothing. I just chuckled and like put my head down and went back to making calls. And, and to this day, that kind of sits with me the wrong way. But it was definitely one of those things where I learned, you know, trying to quiet my voice uh, for, for success is not worth it's not worth it because the regret doesn't leave ever. Um, I still regret not saying anything to this day. Allowing my silence to almost feel like approval that that's okay to say things in that manner. Um, especially when my white counterpart in the office knew that it was wrong and was looking for me to say something and I didn't. And so I, that was one of the biggest things that helped me uh, realize that I need to speak up. And I became uh, very much after I left that organization, I became a staunch uh know, DEI advocate and just vowed to never quiet my voice again after that. And then what was that transition like for you kind of, you know, going from recruiting to, did you kind of like switch more to a DEI career or was it like, you know, being a DEI advocate alongside of recruiting? Exactly. So I, I was blessed to have some great leaders that allowed me to be a DEI advocate while still growing in my recruiter roles as senior recruiters and lead recruiters. Um, I was able to volunteer for many uh, projects that had an emphasis on finding female candidates or male candidates or uh, candidates of a specific race, right? Um, And it was through those experiences that helped me understand what DI truly is. Um, Many people think diversity, think it's something as simple as like, you know, making sure you have black candidates or making sure you have female candidates. When in reality, uh, DI is just, equity, trying to find equity in any situation where there is like lack of equity and lack of um, diversity. I staunchly remember there are times where I had tasks where I had to find white males for roles because like an office may have been 
uh, a traditionally like a large Asian population. There were very little white males working in that office in that uh, pharmaceutical setting. So I had to go out and find white males and um, having to find white males to work at a pharmaceutical place in Indiana was one of the funniest things ever because I'm like, I'm in the heartland of America and I have to go try to find and recruit white males for this role. But help me understand that equity and diversity is as unique as your fingerprint. And it is as unique as the organizations in which you are helping to try to bring equity to, right? No two situations are ever the same. No two uh, business units are ever the same. Business units in the same company can have two completely different uh, diversity needs and equity needs. It's just about taking every situation and looking at the situation and doing your best to uh, address the needs of that particular situation. And so then what's the best way to kind of have a situation where the example you just gave, you were looking for white males to diversify the population. So in recruiting, in hiring someone, you know, if you have two candidates and one's a white male that will improve diversity, but the other candidate won't, how do you kind of take that at a, as a base of, you know, we need to hire the best candidate with the experience that'll bring whatever it is we need but then we also need to look at inclusivity and diversity within the organization. Yeah, I think all you want to want to make sure that you're finding the best candidates possible, right? It's always who are the most qualified candidates. Now, once you have your pool of most qualified candidates, then you can start to look at, okay, now which one of these candidates can help bring equity and diversity to the situation. So I think in those situations where you have all things being equal, in, in I like to call them all things being equal situations. In those situations where all things being equal, then you go with the candidate that's going to help your diversity numbers. You can uh, whatever the diversity numbers may be, but you go with the candidate that's going to bring uh, a, a diverse thought process, a diverse background to the situation, rather than just sticking with the same old model that you had before. As long as all things are equal, right? And that that makes sense. You know the way you just explained it. I think sometimes people have a hard time grasping those concepts and how the world of recruiting does work and how equity and diversity goes alongside of that. Right. And I think that's one thing that AI does and will be doing for uh, TA and just uh, recruiting in general is with so many new advancements in AI now, the systems can look at a or like look at a team look at a business unit and it can tell you where the equity is lacking in the business unit and when a position opens ai can go through the qualified candidates right and not only go through them but then say okay these candidates can fill this need that we have in this organization and it does it in a much faster fashion than we can and it does it in a just an extremely extremely uh, unbiased way that as you know humans we just naturally can't because of just our biases that are in us on a daily basis, just our natural biases, our unconscious biases, as we like to say in the professional world. Mm -hmm. And so when you talk about AI and kind of doing this work specifically in recruiting, are there specific systems out there that organizations need to start adopting? Or is it kind of like free for all, free reign, like what sort of implementation structure needs to exist? Yeah, there are definitely systems out there um, that persons have developed that are here that seem like they could be amazing. 
but I guess I don't want to disparage any systems, but like, so there are systems um, that do your interviewing for you, right? And this one company has a system where you answer your questions via video, and then the AI system will go through and listen to your questions. And then, of course, it will create the understanding of your answers through your fluctuations of your voice. And it will, it understands sentiment, right? So it understands sarcasm. Like it, the systems are great, but where the system causes me trepidation is it also studies the video, right? So it reads your face, it reads your facial expressions, it reads your mannerisms in the video. Now that sounds cool, but I ask, what was the measurements that the engineers used to create the algorithms for the AI that's studying your facial expressions, that's studying your mannerisms, right? Because unless the engineers used a diverse algorithm to take in the context how everyone conducts themselves, then the system the AI will give you a score or a rating that is biased, not because it wants to be biased, but because the algorithm that was put into it is biased, right? If the whole engineering team were, you know, persons of Asian or white background or black background, and then somebody of an opposite race is giving the video interview, then how does the system know their mannerisms, right? How does the system know how to read their face? How does the system understand that someone can have a completely different style of presenting themselves, but still be fully qualified for the role? Everyone's not smiling in every question that they answer, right? Everyone is not, you know, high toned and high pitched when they're talking. And so if the algorithms that that was used to engineer these AI learning systems aren't taking into consideration the variations in which people present themselves. Now we have systems that are just as biased as if it was a person sitting across from you, right? So I think we are, we're in the early stages of implementing AI on a massive level. And I feel corporations are looking at big dollars amount right now. We're just starting to just implement all these systems because, oh my gosh, it saves so much money. I can cut down, can cut my recruiting team in half with doing this. But you're not, you're, you're, are we really asking the right questions when we are screening these new systems, right? When we have these introductory calls with these new companies, are we asking, are we asking to see their engineering team? Show me who developed this, like, and what, what system or what was their logic behind how they developed this? Because those are going to be the things that tell you if the system is truly on a, uh, as unbiased as it can be. And so then what would you say for people who struggle to want to adopt AI in any sort of facet in the workforce? I think we should, but I think you need to ask questions, right? I, like, I don't be, I always tell people, like, don't be blockbuster in the age of Netflix, right? Don't, don't sit there and be like, oh, I'm going to ignore this. And No, because AI is here. AI is here. AI is going to happen. But be responsible in how you do it, right? Don't just go with the flashiest company that had the coolest website and their system can do amazing things, right? 
ask the questions, ask to meet the engineering team, ask the questions about how the systems are put in place. How does the how does the AI truly rate these persons that's being interviewed? Right. Um, you have to understand that. And then even once you implemented the AI, the company quote unquote passed checks and balances. Once you implement the systems into your workforce, make sure you have a dedicated HR team to monitor the AI system, right? The worst thing you want to do is just leave it unchecked and just have your leaders put in random algorithms to find candidates that they're looking for because your leaders may put in things that they don't know are bias-based, right? They may feel like, oh, I just want candidates from this school because I went to this school and, you know, so any candidate from this school would be a great candidate and I'm open I'm open for any candidate as long as they come from this school. Well, only one of the candidates from this school is a significant bias, right? You are literally just biasing yourself to this school and it is um, it's something that you know, someone who's in HR would catch that. Like, ah, we want to make sure we find qualified candidates who have this educational background. But once we start limiting ourselves to one specific school, it, that's clear bias and discrimination against all the other schools, right? So um, we want to make sure once we implement AI that we are going about uh, having a system of checks and balances in place to make sure that as AI is being used, it's being done in a uh, ethical, unbiased way. And so then... Do you have any sort of advice for people in general who want to start using AI or want to start kind of dipping their toes to see like, what should I be doing? How should I be interacting with it if they don't have a specific sort of use case? Like, let's help figure out, find the qualified candidates and stuff like that. I would say like anything else, um, you got to just kind of jump in and start using it. There's so many AI systems out here. Um, from stock AI that can help you generate images to, of course, ChatGPT, which is, you know, the the godfather of AI, of, of what we know the AI to be right now. You know, many people think Chat just came along uh, this year. No, Chat's been around since like 2017 or 18. Um, they've had different iterations. And just the latest iteration just happened to be one of the most advanced iterations um, that's come about this far. And even with their latest updates to where you can now browse the Internet, or you can add plugins to your chat where it can basically plan an entire vacation for you from start to finish without, you know, without hesitation, right? Like just use systems, use systems, get used to them. And you like, just, you can't be scared of it because you don't want to be the blockbuster in the age of Netflix. You don't want to be the person that gets passed up. You don't want to get the person that gets replaced because you don't, you don't have a clue what AI is. Your company's implemented some AI systems and you don't know how to use it or you're scared of it. And now it's easier to replace you than to train you. Right. And um, I think we want to think that everything's a utopian setting in corporate America. But in reality, like a lot of companies just care about the bottom line. And so if you're not an asset to the organization, you're a liability. And so they will replace you without thinking twice about it. So you want to put yourself in a position to be an asset to your company. So learn AI systems. Uh, LinkedIn has so many different certifications and classes. So many people put on different uh, learnings on things. Follow those pages, go to those lunch and learn sessions. I do lunch and learn sessions twice a month on different things going on in the AI world. Uh, jump into those lunch and learn sessions, download the eBooks, just learn, just just don't be afraid of it and, and jump into it and learn as much as you can so that when the systems are presented to you in your workplace, you are now someone that the company can turn to and says, help other people um, with the implementation of the system. 
And so as wonderful and like great advice that is, I, I would garner, I guess that a lot of people are hesitant for change. You know, they, they will be the blockbuster in the world of Netflix. That's a great analogy, I think. Um, so how would you try to encourage people to be open just in general to change as technology and life continues to change around us as time continues to go on? You know what's so wild about this question is those people you talk about is my wife. <laughs> like this, like I am like, I'm this person. And she's like, can I please have a pen and a paper? I will write everything down. She is, I'm like, you, she's not a fan of it. And I tell her all the time, like, you just have to, you can't be afraid of what's happening like because it's happening like it we when we first learned about self-driving cars we thought that was the craziest thing in the world right because there's no way anyone's gonna actually do it but everyone does it, right like every car it's not just teslas like so many cars self-drive now and so you see the commercials all the time from gmc trucks to you know hyundai palisade everyone has self-driving cars right you can't avoid it um and same thing with AI, it's, it's here. And you've been using AI. You may not have just known, you may have not known you've been using AI, right? Because when you, for instance, when you were like going on to websites and those little message boxes pop up at the, set, on the side that says, can I help you? There's not a person, here's a secret. There's not a person on the other side of that little chat box, people. It's usually just AI. It's very basic AI. They can be, at first they were basically just able to answer like three or four questions, but it's usually just AI that's answering those questions for you. You know, when you go into Google and you search something in Google or you ask Google a question, how many times have we typed a question into Google? That was the most, that's the most basic AI that we've all been doing forever. Only thing that's happened now is that machine learning and AI algorithms have gotten more advanced. So now where AI can have a conversation with AI understands sentiment. AI understands sarcasm. AI can can respond back to you in in, in whatever tone you want, right? It can uh, edit and give you suggestions, right? It's just become more advanced, but you've always been using it. So to think that you can somehow hide from it is crazy because you've been you've been using. You just didn't. Know. It's like when you're a kid, you know, Mary Poppins, right? a spoonful of sugar helps medicine go down. You've been drinking medicine. It's just been covered in sugar this whole time, right? And now you're an adult, you know it's amoxicillin, right? You know that is you know what it is now. And so it, it's no it's no longer a secret. So you're scared of it, but you've always been using it. It's just a little bit more advanced. So you know, get used to the more advanced version of it. Yes, technology is forever changing and always improving. So now, you know, you mentioned your lunch and learns on LinkedIn. What is it that you are doing full-time nowadays to kind of further your passions? And are you still like directly in recruiting? I am. I am. I started my own consultation firm called Manifested Dreams. Uh, Manifested Dreams is a firm in which I work with uh, individual persons one-on-one on understanding how to implement AI into their particular career path and how using AI on their particular career path can help them be more successful whether it be certain systems for persons in sales or, you know, systems that persons in admin can use, just how to use AI to make your career move a little smoother, move a little easier. Um, because with so much advances in AI, you'd be surprised how much of your work you can actually, you know, offshore to your computer and it will free up your time to kind of hone in on more of the creative tasks you may do at work, things that may uh, require a little bit more creative thinking as opposed to doing your more monotonous uh, task and then uh, 
Manifest Dreams, we also work with organizations to evaluate their DEI needs, right? Um, we can sit down and go through your cultural needs, uh, help put together cultural committees, uh, go over uh, unconscious bias training, go over trainings in which persons know how to deal and interact by having those tough conversations, um, how to deal with microaggressions. So it's very a, a comprehensive firm that really tries to address all aspects of the uh, recruiting world that I have a passion for and, you know, and doing so in a way that leaves me the ability to work with as many people as possible and try to help and impact as many organizations as possible, as opposed to just doing it for one siloed company. And so then, you know, you, you have a college degree. Do you like, did you kind of get formal training in terms of like learning AI and figuring out AI systems, or has it been kind of these one-off learn as you go type things? It's been the learn as you go thing, right? It's been something I've been doing since not two, 2021, uh, 20, just kind of being in the systems and, hearing about it. I've always been kind of geeky that way. I like to keep up with what's going on. And especially during the pandemic, when we were just all really siloed at home, just face down in this uh, information. And that's what's interesting about AI now is that there there are no college programs, right? There, there are no degrees. Um, like You'll see all these people, like these jobs, I'm sure people have noticed these jobs called prompt engineers are popping up left and right. Um, it's like saying that you are like a district supervisor for Toys R Us. There's really no way to verify this stuff because there's no, there's no, it's a new, it's a new frontier, right? It's a new frontier that's never been here before. So because it's never been here before, many people, uh, no one has really been able to have any formal training. Um, now, probably by the end of this year, going to next year, there'll, there'll be endless college programs and certifications um, that will be able to, bring some sort of official, uh, you know, rankings to persons in, in this world. But that is one of those things where you see in recruiting where you have a guy who's been doing a job for 20 years. He's never had a formal college degree, but then you have somebody who just had a college degree and have two years experience. And it's clear that this other person is more qualified for this job, but the job requires this college. You eventually it's going to get like that. There's going to be people who are going to be so adept in prompt engineering and working with AI, but they've never went through any formal training. And there are going to be new kids that's going to come along. It's like, oh, I got certified by so-and-so university. And it's just going to be a matter of organizations understanding who they're dealing with and how they're dealing with them and, and making sure that the person that they do bring on to help really does not know what they're doing. Whatnot. So I like to think of myself when people really know what I'm doing. And uh, you know, even though there's no formal way of uh, you know quantifying that at this point in time in this whole new world of AI. Yes, yeah, it is so new. And what was it like for you to kind of go out on your own and start this consulting firm? It was what was needed. You know, I felt that my career path, my life path, had just gotten to the point where this is what I'm supposed to be doing. You know, I enjoy helping. I enjoy. Uh, being able to bring balance to inequitable situations and just felt like the time to uh, to go ahead and do so. And you know, a very supportive wife who was like, oh, she's 10 toes down on it. She was like, go ahead. And so, like, let's go. And jumped off and jumped off the bridge. And, you know, so far, so good. 
Great. And now I believe you have also written a book. So would you like to share a little bit mm-hmm. about that and how that can also help the masses rather than, you know, just one company that you're embedded into? Most definitely. It's called Inclusion 2.0, how AI is accelerating the DI movement. Um, it is literally just a quick read ebook um, about how AI systems being used properly can really help bring balance to organizations where these AI systems can help organizations understand what their needs are. Um, it's not just a matter of simply just saying, oh, we have this in the system, but it's here to really help making sure that people can see data-driven results, data-driven insights. Um, it talks about how it can AI is able to help with company retention in the sense that you can implement certain systems that will send out those company cultural evaluations. And in the past, you know, companies send those out, send them back, they'd send them to some other firm, they'd evaluate them, they'd send the results back to the company, then the company would then analyze the results and they'd decide what they want to tell everyone, tell everyone. And now we're like a year and a half away from when we last took the survey. And the persons who were frustrated a year ago have already quit and left, right? Now with these new systems, you can implement that those surveys get evaluated almost instantaneously. And the company has almost instantaneous results as to what the organization is really feeling, um, what programs have really been impactful for the persons, um, for minorities within the company. Are they really feeling that they're being represented well? And they can make immediate changes. And now when a company, person in a company can see that their words are really being heard and that changes are really being made, they're going to want to stay because they feel like the company is actually listening to them. Um, So with implementing certain AI systems, you can really help your company retention grow. Um, You can help bring, bring up company morale. You can just create better environments overall for, uh, for your employees. So uh, the book really just goes into detail about how organizations are doing this, how AI um, is able to do this and how to do it ethically and responsibly so that everyone feels safe while using these systems. And so with AI changing and, you know, improving over time, is this ebook something that you're going to kind of be constantly revising or putting out new editions? Most definitely. I think what's great about, you know, AI and technology and where we're at today is everything's always changing. And so you always have a chance to kind of make your mark on what's new and what's going on, right? And so that's why I will constantly do lunch and learn sessions. Um, and there's just like 30-minute lunch and learns where here's what's going on in the last couple of weeks of AI. Uh, and, it, you know, here's how it can, you know, help you. Here's the changes being made. Here's updates that's been going on. Or here's sometimes I'll do a specific, uh, like, business uh, style. So I think I have lunch and learn coming up next week where we're going to focus on sales and how AI can really impact salesperson specifically. Um, and so it's just, I will constantly be updating and changing and uh, there's no need to write you know, 500 page books on this stuff. It's constantly changing, you know, I'll do a 100, 200, uh, 150 page, 75 page ebook on something new that's going on in the system, put it out there um, so that persons can ingest it, understand it and you know, keep moving with their life. I think with uh, all the advances in technology, We've come to a place in society where we're we're very microwavable. Everyone wants something in two minutes or less. Uh, And so I try not to bombard 
person with very wordy ebooks, you know, maybe <laughs> 50 to 150 pages um, about what's going on and how to use it. I think it's important uh, so you can actually put the stuff to use that you are that, that's happening right now. And what was it like getting into the world of ebooks? It was interesting, right? It was like, oh, uh, there's so many different companies who want to help you with your ebook. But then, you know, many times they just kind of want to take all your copyrights and trademarks and all that good stuff. And so you just have to make sure you align yourself with the right organization that kind of still allows you to uh, own your words and own your thoughts and still kind of get the information out there. So, um, now, being in ebooks is, is fun. I've always been a writer. When in college, I was a political science major with a double minor in English and religion. So I like to write. I've always liked to write. Um, and so it, it's fun writing. And I write fiction. I write ebooks. I just like to write. Now you just mentioned your college degrees there, and you did previously say how you didn't know what recruiting was until someone was like, hey, do you want to be a recruiter? So what was your like initial thoughts and plans for post-college life? Oh, man, I wanted to be a lawyer. I wanted to be a lawyer. And then I got married. My wife and I were all young and loving stuff. We're like, you know what? Let's go get married before we graduated college. <laughs> so we graduated college in May. We got married in April. We were like, you know what? And we didn't tell anyone. So we just got, we just did it. And our parents were pissed. Right? We went down to the courthouse. And we just like, we literally just woke up one day. It was like, you want to go get married? And they're like, yeah, let's go do it. And um and then we eventually told our people and they're like what and like, yeah we're married now and then probably a couple weeks later uh, a couple months later um we got pregnant and started having babies and then it was like oh well four years of law school you know that's cool and all but i got a family to take care of now so i started uh working and then that pulled me into the world of uh recruiting eventually so i still get to help people i think Wanting to be a lawyer was based on wanting to help people. And I enjoy the idea of changing someone's mind through my words, which is what I get to do. Being a um, person in equity and diversity, and because despite the rumors, everybody doesn't want to change. And so sometimes it does take convincing to help an organization understand why DEI is important, which sounds crazy, but I promise you, it's much more regular than you think. Um, some people just don't care. They're like, ah. We're successful, we're making money, why do we have to change anything? Well, because look around the boardroom, right? Everyone doesn't, there's, everyone that works in your company is not represented in this room. And so, um, yeah, I still get that uh, back and forth that you would get um, sometimes as an attorney um, during litigation, in which you have to kind of really use the right words to hit the right buttons to kind of get the ideas across of why DEIs is important and why it should be uh, a priority for every organization. Yes. Yeah, it definitely should be. Now, spur of the moment, getting married, has everything been good? And, you know, the families, you know, kind of decided like, it's okay that you went and got married because now here you are years later with the family. I think so. We were married now 19 years. And so four kids later. And there's really, I think the idea that we're young and didn't know what we we're doing has now fallen by the wayside because, you know, we probably have the longest track record of marriage on both sides of our family now as we 
it, besides of like our grandparents, right? So my, like my wife's grandparents were married for over 50 years. Um, and so, you know, it's something that we're here for it. And so everyone, like no one even really talks about the fact that we got married so young anymore. Uh, I think that marriage is something that is the most difficult thing I've ever done in my life. And it is something you have to want to do. It is not an easy task in any way, shape, or it is literally a choice every day. You choose every day to be married. And, um, you know, it's rewarding. It's one of the most rewarding things. That I don't think I, I know I wouldn't be as successful as I am uh, without the support of my wife. But it is also the most trying times, you know. The person you choose to marry will also be the person who annoys you to no end in the worst way you've ever imagined, you know. But that's life. The good and the bad, the yin and the yang of it, or whatever. <laughs> and what would you say is um, the best advice to having your marriage lasting this long and continuing successfully? Mm. Keep your marriage private and don't stop dating each other. Right? Like, you don't want to pull everybody into your business. Don't don't tell everybody everything that's going on in your marriage. Um, and then always date. I don't care how many kids we have. My wife and I always go out. We have a day set aside. Um, in fact, we have a hour set aside for each other every day. Um, at 11 o'clock every day, we kind of have like our meeting time where it's like we meet. It's like on my calendar. It's blocked off. And we meet. Now, some days we meet for 30 minutes. Some days we meet for an hour. Um some days we talk, some days we don't. We just kind of take naps. We have nap dates. We were like, look, this has been a long week. <laughs> you know, this, this, I need 30 minutes to just sleep and we just go take a nap. And then we vacation and we like, we just try to get away. Um, being where I'm at, North Carolina, the beach is like two hours away. So we'll go hang out at the beach um, for a weekend, whatnot. And we do concerts. We love concerts. So, you know, we got Beyonce concert coming up in August. We went and saw Shock Khan and Babyface in New Orleans in February. Uh, I can't tell you, like, we just, we, we just kind of still try to stay in tune with each other as much as possible. I think when you start having kids and you get married, it is very much easier to focus on the kids and you forget about each other. But then one day those kids are going to go away and you're going to be looking at a complete stranger and you're like, oh shit, I don't even know you. And so, um, you gotta, you gotta keep dating each other so you don't have those moments or whatnot. Awesome. Now, before I start to wrap things up, is there anything else you would like to share with the listeners? Really? About anything we've talked about or anything we haven't talked about? No, not at all. It just, I think that we all have responsibility to impact DEI and equity in whatever situation you're in, um, whether it be in your local communities where you see disparities, uh, you know, be a voice, speak up, be an ally in whatever way you can. Um, you know, I always tell people that we all have a little pond of life that we impact and we can throw pebbles that pond and those pebbles create ripples right so you can either throw pebbles of negativity or positivity into your pond i just you know stress to people throw as many positive pebbles into your pond as possible right because what you do may impact how that person treats someone who looks like you down the line right like if someone has a bad experience with someone who looks just like you then the next person who looks just like you they're going to have some biases against that person Right. So try to create as much positive ripples in your life as possible. And that will undoubtedly help other people. 
um, of your same background, uh, have more positive experiences with other people of other backgrounds, right? It's, you know, we're all connected. As much as we like to feel like, you know, we're, we're unique in humans, we're all just, you know, atoms and molecules. And so let's just treat each other like, like, like the, the similar beings that we are, you know, and try to impart as much good into each other as possible. Yes, I think you've offered some great advice throughout this episode. So I'm appreciative of everything you've shared. Uh, at the end of all my episodes, I do ask my guests a random question that doesn't have to do with what we've been oh. talking about. Awesome. So my question for you is, if magic was real, what spell would you learn first? Oh, you're assuming magic's not real. See, I actually think magic is real, right? And so I think that... The spell of manifestation is the one spell that I've been working to master my most recent adult life, right? Being able to cast whatever reality you want by the words you speak is something I feel is very real. And um, it is magic and it's wonderful and it should be embraced. And so, you know, we all have the power to create the world we want. Don't believe the hype. A lot of people say it's not that simple things are complicated here's the secret it is that simple everything is really that simple you can have whatever life you want you can cast that spell and live whatever life you want don't let anyone tell you if you want to go live on the beach say i want to go live on the beach and then sell your shit and go live on the beach it's really that simple like life is not complicated like i if i can tell that's what i want to life isn't complicated it's not you can just Go do whatever you want. You're not obligated to do anything except whatever makes you happy and doesn't infringe upon somebody else's happiness. Now, if your happiness means, you know, somebody else is going to be hurt and sad, don't do it. But if your happiness is just for you, by all means, go be happy. Go be happy on the beach, sipping pina coladas, working at a local, you know, beach bar and serving, you know, pina coladas and, and keeping your feet and toes for the rest of your life. Go do it. Live your best life. Cast that spell. Use your magic. All right, that brings this episode to a close. If you would like to connect with Shane, I will, of course, be leaving his website for Manifested Dreams in the description, along with his LinkedIn and Twitter. If you'd like to go follow or connect with him, feel free to do that. And if you'd like to connect with the podcast, our website is in the description. That brings you to all of our past episodes, all past guest contacts and resources, along with the podcast's social media. We are on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook if you'd like to go follow those pages. Or if you'd like to be a guest on the show, my email is in the description. That is always the best way to reach me. And if you'd like to support the podcast monetarily, there is a link to do that in the description as well. So thank you so much, Shane, for spending time with me today and to my listeners for taking the time out of your day to hear a new story. Until next time, bye. Goodbye all. And remember, life doesn't come at you. It comes from you. So do as much good as you can and watch all the good come back to you.